Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize hey, is so high welcome in the to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with new abolitionist and actionist Yohanan Elia and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the May 31st, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. On this date in history, in 1962, near Tel Aviv, Israel, Adolf Eichmann, the Nazi SS officer who organized Adolf Hitler's final solution of the Jewish question, was executed for his crimes against humanity. Like the current Black the Blue Back the Blue Act of 2017 now in Congress, every genocide sanctioned by government is considered legal, and they do indeed seek to make themselves legally untouchable for their crimes. Some of the stories we'll try and cover today include in what seems to be an epidemic of 15-year-old boys being killed by police. On Friday, May 26, 2017, 15-year-old Darius Smith was executed by an off-duty law enforcement officer. But there is so much more to it than that. We'll explain shortly. Also, Three male correction officers employed in a federal prison in Brooklyn face charges as serial rapists victimizing their enslaved prisoners. An inmate firefighter died Wednesday when a 120-foot-tall tree fell on him while he was battling a wildfire in Humboldt County, according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Earning a mere $2 a day, California operates 43 camps, which house about 3,900 inmate firefighters estimated at a billion dollars in annual service. Advocates hope to end police uh, policy in Texas of jailing poor for unpaid fines. More than 200,000 Texans can't renew their licenses and approximately 400,000 have holds on vehicle registrations due to unpaid fines. According to the report, in 2015, almost 3 million warrants were issued in cases where the punishment was originally justified. Then, in a unanimous decision, 
The United States Supreme Court Tuesday made it more difficult to sue police officers who accidentally, quote-unquote, shoot the wrong person. This case involved two L.A. County Sheriff deputies who shot and wounded Angel Martinez and Jennifer Lynn Garcia in 2010 as they were lying on their bed inside a shack in Lancaster. Then, Republicans in both houses of the U.S. Congress introduced a bill. They're calling the Back the Blue Act of 2017. The bill would create new federal crimes, impose federal police over the will of local officials and voters, and shield police officers from virtually any civil liability, even in cases of egregious misconduct. Our abolitionist in profile will be provided by Scotty Reed. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is James Shepard, who spent years in prison for a crime he did not commit. And in our new segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the German Coast Slave Uprising of 1811. It is regarded by some historians as the greatest revolt of its sort in American history. As a comrade said today, when describing why you should be listening to and sharing this broadcast, if you're not an abolitionist, you're laying on your belly hoping for the best. Shout out to the New Free Press. Got a question or a comment? You can call us toll-free at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parkers. What's happening, Brother Scotty? What's going on, Max? How are you? Man, you know, I've been on the roller coaster this week. I got to see my son. He's here with us now. You know, we had a celebration for my daughter being officially cancer-free. I got to see two miracles happen all in that one short period of time. Wow, that surely is great news, man. I'm happy for you and Tribal and your family. I have a question. Yes, sir. You mentioned in your opening uh, monologue, you said that in Tel Aviv, they had a trial of Adolf Eichmann. And, yes. Oh, okay. Did they erect a statue to him in Tel Aviv after that? Absolutely not. I didn't think so. And that's so. what they're doing here. <laughs> I didn't think so, but I, I just mm-hmm. wanted to check with you. Yeah, I just want to point out that, you know, in our history, uh, here across the globe, we have prosecuted people for crimes against humanity, and I think we're about due for some more right now. When we get discovery at the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, when we demand discovery through Congress, I got a feeling a lot of this dirt is going to come out and just blow the roof off of everything. I mean, there's so much dirt already out there that people know about. It's just a shame that there hasn't been a mass mobilization, you know, and that's what we're hoping to do in August. But I mean it's how long we've been doing this program? We'll be five years on the thirteenth of June. Right. So, you know, not just this program, but the other programs and other publications and news outlets that talk about these stories. Maybe it's maybe it's because they're not framing it in the context of slavery and human trafficking, and that's why people haven't woken up. I, I don't know, man. I, I I would like to be a time traveler and go back to 1864 and see what the mood of the population was like then. I mean, I know it was a different time then, but, you know, I, I would like to see uh, how apathetic people were as, you know, we look and see so many apathetic people today. But let me just say, though, I am uh, encouraged 
um, by the activities that we see um, that are that is occurring here in the United States. And we'll get there. We'll get there. It's just too slow for my taste. Indeed. I think you hit the nail on the head, Scotty, when you said that they just don't frame it in the context of slavery and human trafficking. And, you know, when I'm out here talking to people all over the place, that's the main thing that I impress upon them when they say, what can I do to make a difference? The first thing you got to do is change your mind. It, it, you don't need a, a, a application card to become an abolitionist. When you become an abolitionist, it means you finally see slavery and you want it to end because you know we can't reform crimes against humanity. That's not part of the card. So the only answer to this is abolition. And if you're not framing it in that way, then you're really missing the whole point altogether. You can't use the same arguments that you use for mass incarceration and talk about it as slavery at the same time. That's just two different things that are going on. Right. And and then technically, well, I guess they mean mass incarceration, meaning that the largest prison population ever on, in the history of mankind. And I ain't talking it's about just... It's a misnomer, just, though, Scotty. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just want to say that it is a misnomer because if it was really mass incarceration, there'd be a lot more white people in those prisons. Right. I mean, we we estimate that at any given time, including the jails, is what, 2.5 million people who are on, in the system at any given time during the year. Yes. But there are about 300 million people in the United States. So I would need to see 150 million of those um, American citizens on a prison plantation slaving away to make it, you know, accurate, to call it mass incarceration. Just call it what it really is. We don't need metaphors. I mean, I use metaphors sometimes, you know, metaphors good for communicating, but not on this issue because, you know, it just makes people think that oh, we're just putting too many people in, in the prison and, and we just need to reduce the population. When that's not the problem, the problem is slavery and human trafficking and we need to stop enslaving people. And, in, and trafficking them across this nation. You know, at the family reunion we just had this weekend in North Carolina, where my kids came down and all the brothers and sisters and stuff, I sat around with family members, one who was a former cop, another one is a, uh investment manager for the Vanguard Group, uh, another one is an, a current correctional officer, and uh, another brother is an activist uh kind of like myself out of North. And we sat and I'm talking to them about slavery and human trafficking and three or four out of four of them all said the same dumb ass thing because they don't know what I'm doing. My family doesn't pay attention to what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's really just that simple. Well, anyway, they said the same dumb thing that if you don't do the time, you won't have to do the crime. If people weren't out here committing so many crimes, it doesn't matter what the crime is. If it's illegal, it's illegal. And that's why they're in prison. You know, I just wanted to pluck them in the forehead. <laughs> I really just did. I tried to impress on them, but I run into the same problems that I run into many other times. People don't want to hear. They want to talk. They want to tell you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, yo, I've been studying this for years and years. I'm considered one of the foremost experts on this subject right here. Please let me explain it to you. And they don't want to hear that. They want to tell you what they know and what they think. They're not open to anything different. And that culture shock is not something they want to face. When you look in the mirror and go, you know, this really is slavery. Well, <laughs> That's Max, a big change. Well, Max, you know, the employment that 
they had that you just mentioned, you know, former cop, uh, corrections officer, and what have you, uh, there's some cognitive dissonance going on there. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to acknowledge what they really participated in. Now, I'm not sitting up here saying that we don't need police officers. I'm not saying every police officer is out there with the sole purpose of catching slaves. It's far too many of them, but I'm not saying that. I'm not saying because I haven't heard anyone give me a viable alternative to prison for rapists and murderers and and people of that nature. But we know from the statistics that the vast majority of people in prison are not in prison because they violated someone else's rights, their property, their life, their pursuit of happiness. No, they are in there because people who wanted to interfere with your pursuit of happiness um, passed some laws just to put people into slavery and make money. Okay, so that's all that is, Max. They don't want to acknowledge what they were a part of. And and so, but, I mean, you contrast that with some of our former guests who have been in the, worked in the same jobs, but they were able to bring themselves to recognize what exactly it was they were participating in. Now, I, I wouldn't, I mean, we're not trying to indict you. If you are in those positions, we're just trying to wake you up. And then once we wake you up to the fact of what you're engaging in, uh, how you're making your money, then, you know, it's on you to make a decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what people expect to see. You know, when you say slavery, maybe plantations and cottons in their mind. When you say slave catchers, as the police being slave catchers, maybe they expect to see some kind of wiling out party with everybody snatching up guns and torches to go lynch some Negroes in the police station. That's just not the way it works. Remember, Scotty said we're a nation of 320 million people. We've got over a million active law enforcement officers right now uh, that are working in the field. If just one, it just like, if just for every police, just every one of those law enforcement officers uh, did something that resulted in the unjust incarceration of three to five people in their career, in their entire career, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? But if they all did that, guess how many people that is? Right. Three to five million people railroaded. That's a human rights violation. So you're so compartmentalized, and you may not think that, you know, it's not that bad. I've only put three people away for marijuana, and they got two, three years. No big deal. But you multiply that all over America. Yeah. You know, another thing, the misconception I've been dealing with lately is that we have this tendency now where we are constantly blaming ourselves for everything. Like, we are the reason. We are at fault. We did it wrong. Like I said, if you don't do the crime, you don't have to do the time. And who's telling you that we're such criminals like that? We have shown you on this program that at least 40%, according to prestigious reports, uh, study organizations, that at least 40% of prisoners can be released today with no abject uh, uh, ills to society, with no 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 problems at all, could be released right now, today. And they should be. We think it's as much as 60 to 70% of them that should be freed right now, today. Um, in the past week, Scotty, or say two weeks, in the past two weeks, I've had my sister's uh, daughter, her half-brother, was murdered by, by gun violence. 
my cousin, one of my favorite cousins in Patterson, New Jersey, her son, who I've seen grow up his whole life, lost his father to violence, and then he watched his friend be killed in front of him just a couple of days ago. My daughter's house was shot up about two weeks ago uh, with my granddaughter's inside of it. And if you listen to the rhetoric, that's all our fault. <laughs> like, we created the conditions that we live in. We, like, like we choose to be here. It's just it's terrible the way people think based on what they've been led to believe by propaganda campaigns that you are the problem. We are always going to be the Negro problem, just like there was a Jewish problem. Right. <clears throat> so, Max, you want to jump into our uh, first story? Yes, sir, man. You had to pardon me for being a little bit out of there on it, but it's been an emotional weekend. I'm <laughs> sorry about that. Oh, no need um, to apologize. Yeah, indeed. Let's start out with the first story, man, uh, which is about Darius Smith. And I first became aware of it through Sean King. And Sean King wrote an article explaining what happened. So I'll read what Sean King said, because I don't think I could say it better at this point. I'll add any commentary afterwards, and Scotty can as well. Sean King, a child was executed in cold blood. On Friday, May 26, 2017, 15-year-old Darius Smith was executed by an off-duty law enforcement officer. He was shot twice in the legs before being shot three more times in the chest at close range. Multiple witnesses say his assailant dropped him with the shots to the legs and then stood over him and emptied three rounds into his chest. Two of his friends attempted to get out of harm's way by running in different directions. The shooter took aim at them as well. He caught one with a shot to the buttocks and another shot to the hand. As the man approached, the child pled for his life. He begged the shooter not to shoot him anymore. Instead, the unidentified shooter pursued his friends, shooting multiple rounds at the boys as they ran for their lives. The two teenagers that survived the shooter's array of bullets will be facing criminal charges for the murder of their friend. Let me repeat that. The two teenagers that survived the shooter's array of bullets will be facing criminal charges for the murder of their friend. The man who killed one teen, wounded another, and put a third in imminent fear for his life faces no criminal liability whatsoever. This is the state of America concerning black lives and law enforcement. These three boys, two 15-year-olds and a 14-year-old, were headed to a nearby Friday market event, a common Friday night hangout for local teens. They were traveling by rail and got off at the appropriate stop. The assailant got off at his stop as well. It's unclear how the four became involved in the dispute. The shooter claims the boys attacked him, wielding a toy gun and demanding his money. It's not uncommon for law enforcement to cry self-defense in order to justify the indefensible shooting. This tactic becomes even more convenient given our society's rush to criminalize people of color. So these three boys, with no criminal records, suddenly decide to become armed robbers in broad daylight at a popular Friday night rail stop and chose as their victim a man apparently carrying nothing at all of value. This is the only version of events being promoted in the media. The limited information the family have been able to receive from the two surviving boys, both who are in custody right now, assert that there was no robbery attempt. It seemed clear that there was some sort of dispute, and that this dispute was ended 
when this law enforcement officer began shooting indiscriminately at defenseless children. The majority of the evidence available indicates that the officer got a, shot a child to death in cold blood and had attempted to kill two more as well. The boys and other independent witnesses confirm the apparent criminal intent of the custom agent. He sits at home, a free man. A 14-year-old child is being held in police custody at a local hospital. A 15-year-old is incarcerated in a juvenile facility. Darius Smith's body is still in the custody of the medical examiner. He'll never go home again. And there you have it in its entirety. Scotty? Yeah, I really don't have anything, Max. Um, you know, self. I could cuss, I could rant, or or just go on and on, man. I tell you, I hope I'm not becoming desensitized because I definitely don't want to become desensitized, but this is like normal. This is normal in behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. This is normal. That right there, you know, how many times have we heard this story before? And then we have those in this country that will have us to believe that it's the police that need protection from us and not us from them. So that's all I got. You know, I consciously at one point after hearing so many of these stories tried to avoid sharing them here on a new abolitionist radio and to talk more about the bigger picture, you know what I mean? Because it was just weighing down on me so hard. But with this rash of 15-year-old boys, like we said last week, not 14, not 13, 15-year-old boys being killed, it just seems like a, a strange pattern. And it's already a human rights violation. It's already acts of genocide, you know, from that perspective. But there's something that seems to be a little different about this. Too much of a coincidence. I don't even know what to say, Scotty. I just I don't know what to say. All of it is shameful, and somebody needs to pay. And I don't mean money either. Yeah, it is just, um, you're right, Max. I, I really don't have, I'm kind of speechless just at the sheer thought of it, you know, that these young people are just being gunned down like that in, in the streets, man. And then just as an individual, look, when I was in a war zone in uh, Saudi Arabia, I didn't want to shoot nobody. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't shoot anyone, but I was in some situations where I might have had to shoot somebody. Even then, I did not want to shoot anyone because I had that kind of respect for human life. But many of these people running around with guns and badges, man, they they have it seems to me they have no respect or no regard for human life. Yes, and I'm I'm in agreement with you. I had a discussion with one of our comrades about that very thing just earlier today. You know, it's real hard for me to completely blame the conditions that we have uh, managed to see ourselves under as all our fault. I just can't do that, man, because I know, and I've seen it with my own eyes, the generational oppression that put us in these certain conditions and places, just like the redlining put us into ghettos. The ghettos were crafted. The same thing happened with the mass incarceration when they started going in and taking out all these young black men, and now young black women as well are, are growing uh, exponentially. But they started taking out these young black men. They allowed crack and all these other drugs to come in, and they made it so they were a 100 times more uh, time provided in court for crack versus powder, which was straight racist. 
you know, and then I saw the gentrification as the homes were lost because nobody could afford them anymore. You know what I mean? People went to be homeless and got into positions where the only job in town was selling crack cocaine. It was the only way you was going to survive in, in those streets. And they did it. So I, I find it hard, even with the chemical aspect of it that we spoke of before, Scotty, where these our food, our water supplies are being poisoned with lead. Our food supplies are being poisoned with chemicals. And oftentimes, these chemicals cause violence within a community. There's a study that says the cities that are most uh, affected by lead poisoning have a rate of four times the homicide rate as those who are not. Four times. So there's a lot of things involved in here that are not just nature, but also nurture. You know, um, I had read about this story about two weeks ago, man, and it just really did. I don't know if you recall the story of the police officer who was fired because he refused to shoot this man. And yes. the man was suicidal and what have you. And he was trying to get the cop to kill him. But this cop said he could just tell that the dude didn't want to hurt nobody. And he was going to talk him down. He said like he was trained to do. And then another cop just comes up on the scene and just immediately shoots the young man after he got through talking him down. And was about to take him in, in the custody and what have you and, and the city fired the cop for not shooting him saying shooting the young man saying that oh he put other cops lives, lives, lives in danger and I mean just picturing here's this cop talking calmly to, to, to this person in distress don't want to kill him because he has respect for human life and he sees that this person is not trying to harm anyone else but trying to get himself harmed and then just out of the blue comes another cop and just shoots the dude in the head that right there man that's just so that was cold calculated murder but who got fired and who's probably stand up for a promotion exactly man this is a sick society we live in man it's very very sick we set the examples with the story like we just talked about with Darius that's the example that people see the, 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 the no value for life at all from those who are sworn to protect and serve and then when we reflect those same beliefs suddenly it's a problem but you're killing us in the streets like that and then telling us to be good people you know just for instance 2015 right all shootings there was some 13,000 people who were killed in the US by firearms in 2015 in 2015 10% of that were police killing people. A full 10%. Man. Well, there is a the the story you have it there and uh, just messes up my whole mind just thinking about it. I shared the story about the cop who was fired for not shooting the man. Yeah. And as you pointed out, Scotty, somebody came right behind him. Boop done. That's how it's done. You just shoot them. You don't worry about them. You just kill them and let God sort it out. That's how they think. Yeah, man. It, it has to be some kind of empathy test, man, before you are allowed to have that kind of power, man. I mean, a whole, I could think of a whole battery of tests, psychological tests that people should go through, like the Tamir Rice case. You know, it now it, it, they finally fired that cop 
that shot Tamir. Tamir Low, I mean Timothy Lowman was his name, and this guy wasn't got fired from another department, and they said he was immature. He didn't have no business being no cop, and they fired him. And then how easy it was for him to get a job up there in Cleveland where he ends up killing. How old was Tamir, 12? 14. 14, killing a 14-year-old boy. Playing in the park with a toy gun by the school. (laughs) Not only did they kill Tamir, but if you watch the video, you'll see that they accosted his sister, little sister, trying to get to his dead body as he was dying and they slammed her to the ground and held her there on the ground little girl they gave that boy two seconds <laughs> that's that's it pulled up put the gun down bye bye yeah, I don't even think they said that I mean before the car stopped Lowman was diving out like he was in some kind of action movie and shooting and he, the 9-11 caller told him that it might be a toy gun they even said it that it might be a toy gun yeah, and the dispatcher that failed to relay that information only uh, got a letter of reprimand. That led, It started from the fear of the black man. You see a 15- and 14-year-old kid playing with a toy gun in a schoolyard, and it's a problem. You're afraid. But had that been a 14-year-old little white boy in a white neighborhood, nobody would have said a thing. No, nah, it, well, it was just a little kid playing with toy guns. Don't worry about it. But, you know, nowadays... Toy guns are no longer something people want to be playing with at any time. At they have all. a lot of deaths. At, at all. all. Adults either. You know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we was talking earlier, Scotty, about the whole um, if you don't want to do the crime, don't do the time narrative that we keep spoon-feeding each other. I got a couple of stories here that kind of crash that down to cinders. Um, if you wanted, you want to do one and I'll do the other... The first one I just posted on New Abolitionist Radio's uh, Facebook page, and it's in regards to the advocates hope, who hope to end policy in Texas of jailing poor people for unpaid fines. Yeah, if you could take that first one, I need to uh, handle something right quick, Max. So if you'll take that first one, I'll take the second one. All right, all right, no problem. All right, well, this one comes out from uh, texastribune.org. And uh, it says Amarillo resident Janet Blair Cato lived on the Edge Pound, where she would rescue abandoned dogs, often pit bulls, drawing animal control's attention. I told him I rescued them. I don't fight them, she recalls once telling an officer. So from that point, he started coming around and coming around, and then I got a barking ticket. Blair Cato soon found herself owing the city thousands of dollars in fines for the animal disturbance, as well as not having the proper vaccinations and tags for her dogs and other related offenses. She also had a $384 speeding ticket on her record. Blair Cato entered into a payment plan with the court that worked until one day she received disturbing news. Her latest payment didn't clear on time, so a warrant was issued for her arrest. She was not eligible to serve weekends or do community service, she said. She was left with two options, pay it or lay it. She spent 52 days in jail in 2014. I laid every bit of it out because I wasn't going to give them any more money because it was a bottomless pit, she said. All they had to do was turn them all into warrants again. It just ate up everything I had paid. So when I got out two days later, I got another barking ticket. So I got rid of the dogs altogether. I haven't had a dog since. Not every Texas city 
would have chosen to jail Blair Cato over unpaid tickets. According to various experts and advocates, including Texas Supreme Court Chief Justice Nathan Hesch, cities where municipal judges impose such outcomes are violating the U.S. Constitution. Let me repeat that because we hear it a lot and nobody ever does a damn thing about it. According to the Texas Supreme Court Chief Justice, cities where municipal judges impose such outcomes are violating the U.S. Constitution. He and others are hoping state law will soon reflect that. This is something we've done for a long time. It just has a lot of history to it, Heck said. I think part of it is a concern that no judge ever wants to release a criminal defendant who may then threaten public safety. So you're always going to err on the side of caution. In January, State Representative Jane White and our uh, Republican Hillister filed House Bill 1125, which would ban Texas judges from jailing people for an offense that is punishable only by a fine. State Representative Diego Bernal, a Democratic of San Antonio, soon signed on as a joint author. On what Thursday, White also filed House Bill 3729, which would require courts to ask whether a defendant can afford a pay to pay a fine and offer alternatives to payment. Bernal said representing a district with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds made him realize how a simple traffic ticket could dramatically affect someone's life. HB 1125 would level the playing field and give people some dignity, he said. Um, here's some of the numbers that I did want to share. I don't want to read this whole thing, but I'm going to get to these numbers part so that can stick in your head and you can catch the rest on New Abolitionist Radio. It says, thousands of Texans are at risk of being arrested at any given moment for not paying fines related to traffic offenses or other city ordinance violations. According to a recently released report by tax, Texas Appleseed and the Texas Fair Defense Project, those who can't afford to pay often find themselves hit with additional fines or other restrictions, such as being blocked from renewing their driver's license and vehicle registrations. More than 200,000 Texans can't renew their licenses, and approximately 400,000 have holds on vehicle registrations due to unpaid, unpaid fines. According to the report, in 2015, almost 3 million, yes, that's the six zeros number, 3 million warrants were issued in cases where the punishment was originally justified. And I'm going to close with this part. What happens is that the current system is counterproductive and it drives people further into debt because they're accumulating more tickets for driving illegally. On top of those tickets are all of the costs and fees from the start snowballing as well. And Mary Megler, criminal justice report uh, project director with Texas Appleseed said, so it drives people further in the debt and impedes people's ability to make a living. Um, you can catch that whole story on New Abolitionist Radio, but you know, this just happened to me recently. Like my son, as you all well know, just got out of prison. He ain't been out ten days yet, not even barely a week. Went to see his probation officer over here, and the first thing they tell him is you gotta pay fifty dollars a month starting in three weeks. Fifty dollars a month. And if you don't pay this fifty dollars a month, we're gonna violate you and put you back in prison. Right. Now, now remember, think about that. Think about that now. Think about that. Fifty dollars a month. You got that felony slave status on you. Makes it hard for you to get a job. So if you can't find employment, then what? What you supposed to do? 
See, it kind of forces people to do things they otherwise might not do. Just stay out of just to stay out of prison. Sort of like you was talking about earlier about people doing things in the street just to survive, just to survive. So, I mean, it's a racket, man. And and I think about places like we've done the America is Ferguson uh, series that we had did for almost an entire year. And it was a whole year. Yep. Oh, it was a whole year. Yeah, it was. Yep. And I'm thinking all this money, all this money that they taking in. Was it what are they doing with all this money, Max? Did they build more playgrounds? Did they build more schools or or provide more resources to the community? I didn't read that they did any of that that with that money. Where is this money going? Overtime pay? Perhaps I can't say, but I would like to see a study on it. Where does all this money from these? And I heard something about the Justice Department supposed to look at the uh, asset and forfeiture uh, laws again. So what is going on? Where is all this money going to? It certainly ain't going to the people. So who who's who's profiting from all this ticketing? Exactly, exactly. They're complaining about those things in every city in America. You know, uh, certain communities are being left completely behind on Florida, on Baltimore, and all over the country. While others seem to have suddenly gotten plenty of money to get parks and schools and recreation centers and team centers and everything you could possibly want to keep your kids out of trouble. Meanwhile, all we got is abandoned buildings with mattresses inside that you can jump up and down on. And then to top it off, once they put you in prison and they count you in the census and they then the federal government gets ready to allocate resources based on the census, most of those people are in a county that, you know, it's not their family, it's not their community. It's a rural area like where I live, and those resources get allocated, you know, outside of the community that they snatch these people up from. Man. I said, man, we're being extorted right now. And this extortion that is dealing with me and my son, which is reflected by people all over America, um, stems from the initial introduction of the for-profit private prison systems and for-profit private probation companies and the models that they created, which have been duplicated throughout our federal and state prisons, which became, after their model, for-profit industries. That's one of the reasons why we've seen these explosions happening over and over over again, of prisons being built, more people filling them, to the point where we're looking at 200% occupancy in some prisons. You know, I was reading stories and hearing stories about some prisons where they had to house the inmates on the roof out in Wallace County. That remember that prison out there, Scotty? They were built for I think seven hundred people, and it had three thousand people in it, and they were living in tents in the open air, out uh, surrounded by this barbed wire fence, working every single day. Well, <clears throat> anyway. Um, one of the stories that the second one I want to bring into this uh, conversation, Scotty, was the one that you've been talking about today and yesterday, I believe, is where the GOP Congress right now is advancing this bill to uh, 
protect police from accountability of just about any sort, as well as Congress, too. Um, I was hoping maybe you could share some of that information with us and tell us the relevance in this fight that we're having. Yeah, so you have two um, politicians from Texas. Uh, One is a senator, a U.S. senator, and another one is in the House of Representatives. John Cornyn, I've heard his name, you know, plenty of times over the years. Bonafide right-wing conservative. Um, I never heard of this other guy. Um, I think his, his name is Ted Poe or something like that. Um, but let me pull up what I wrote about it today. And I actually did a commentary. Can I just play the commentary? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and load that up. But they are advancing a bill to strip Americans of their rights. And I did a longer video on it, um, you know, uh, uh, right before Tando came on. But I made this particular one for uh, Tanya Free's show today. So here we go. Republicans in both houses of the U.S. Congress introduced a bill they're calling the Back the Blue Act of 2017. The Senate bill was introduced by John Cornyn, Republican out of Texas, and is co-sponsored by 15 senators, all Republicans. The House bill was introduced by Ted Poe, Republican out of Texas, and has five co-sponsors, all Republicans. The bill will create new federal crimes, impose federal police over the will of local officials and voters, and shield police officers from virtually any civil liability, even in cases of egregious misconduct. If the GOP backed the Blue Act of 2017 is made into law, I'm sure U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions would enforce it with great enthusiasm since stating he isn't interested in holding police accountable for violating the rights of U.S. citizens. First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution contained within the Bill of Rights in part says that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the people from petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. Passing a law to prevent people from petitioning the U.S. courts by suing abusive law enforcement is unconstitutional, un-American, and clearly demonstrates an attempt to undermine the very Constitution these Republicans swore to defend. This is undermining the very principle that leads to the Boston Massacre that led to the American Revolution when colonists following Crispus Attux confronted abusive British soldiers on police duty who had brutalized a Boston teenager. This bill must be opposed by all Americans who believe in truth, justice, and liberty for all citizens as those who swore an oath to serve and protect citizens by upholding the U.S. Constitution are attempting to undermine protections and asserting special privileges for law enforcement to abuse the American citizens much like the British troops of King George III. This has been Scotty Reed with a BTR News Commentary. For more commentary, visit me online at blacktalkradionetwork.com. I'm glad we got a brother like you around to break it down for us like that, Scotty. Um, so what do we, what should we really be worried about here? Well, it's a number of things. And, of course, I could only do two minutes because that's on a nationally syndicated radio show. And I'm thankful for the two minutes they give me every week um, to put out some information. But, I mean, there's a number of things that we should be concerned about. Um they're making they're going to add new laws to i guess enhance the punishment for killing a cop or killing a judge or killing a fire uh um um 
a fire, uh, excuse me, a fireman. I'm sorry. Um, and look, you don't need any more enhancements. If you kill a cop, if you kill a judge, chances are you're going to get capital punishment or you're going to spend life in prison any dang on way. So what's the purpose of even adding even more penalties on, on top of the p- penalties that already exist? This is trying to cre- create a problem, uh, create an illusion of a problem that does not exist. But what they're trying to do is, as I stated, is take away citizens' right to sue law enforcement officers for egregious acts of misconduct. I mean, they like you described earlier, you know, just just shooting somebody repeatedly and, you know, just a heinous crime. Oh, no matter how heinous, you still can't sue. So they're trying to protect their slave catchers even for and shield them from any accountability. I mean, they put a whole lot of language in this bill. Um, I need to keep going through it, but the Human Rights Watch organization um, pretty much came to, to the same conclusion that I came to, that this is all about making it hard for citizens to to hold police departments accountable. And that should scare any anyone. That should, I mean, it's a, I, I call it a direct assault on the Constitution. I'm I'm right. gonna use their language. You know how the GOP likes to wave the flag and and talk about patriotism and all that. Where they're engaged in a treasonous acts, they are openly trying to undermine the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which gives citizens the right to seek a redress of their grievances through the courts. Where else are you gonna go? So. They're actually, in my opinion, going to make it more dangerous. You know, in a in a courts, in a civil society, that's how you're supposed to handle disputes. It's not violently through the courts. Now, if you take that away from citizens to where they can't even go to court anymore to file a grievance after this this slave catcher and brutalized their son or their daughter. I mean, you ain't leaving us with nothing but to uh, seek a redress of our grievances in the streets. And I don't think they want that. Yeah, I don't think so either. Man, like, you know, the case that's out now, and I'm not going to go too much detail into it, but I would suggest to our listeners that if you have the opportunity to watch the video, you should. But recently they had this one cop who killed, uh, we were just talking about the killing the teenage boy. Watch the video of that. I'll see if I can find it and put up the story so you can check it out as well. And hear them you know, pleading for their life uh, from Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking another at thing. this story now. The same one, it's a different 15 year old, I believe. I'm getting them so confused, it's been like eight of them now. <laughs> and one was struck by gunfire who pronounced dead 5-4 Saturday morning. The 14 year old who was struck by gunfire remains in the hospital now life threatening injuries. I think it's the same person, U.S. Customs official officer and three black teenagers in Arcadia. So it's open season on American citizens. It's pretty much, you know, you might as well just say we're occupied by our army. Yeah, a racist sociopathic army. Whether they want to be or not, or think they are or not, they all play a role. 
like you said earlier, Scotty. And I want to point out, you know, and I'm starting to change my language, um, just knowing the psychology of the um, American people. I want to point out that that story that you shared, these aren't black people, these are white people. Like I said in my longer video, you know, they do want to play us against each other based on skin color. You know, when we say that uh, every 28 hours a black person is killed by a law enforcement officer, well, what do people in the white community say? Well, white men is killed more than anybody. Well, look, it ain't no contest to find out who the biggest victim. Let's just say Americans are being killed by slave catchers, all right? And we live in a police state. And they keep trampling our rights and making our rights null and void to the point that what what does it matter if you're a citizen? Because obviously it doesn't come with any kind of rights or privileges if these if these agents of the state are just simply allowed to just shoot innocent people in their bed, wrong looking for somebody else, and you shoot the wrong people who are lying in their bed. And then for the Supreme Court to take away their $4 million award, I mean, you telling me it's open season on American citizens and we have no protection, you know, that we need protection from the so-called people who are supposed to be protecting us. It's, man, this country is going to, I mean, I don't want to say going to a hell in a handbasket, but, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse, man, the climate. You know, we were just talking about the three million warrants that stemmed initially from simple fines that went unpaid. And those three million warrants lead to SWAT teams coming into your house for things like a $50 payment that you won't didn't make or, uh, you know, some traffic ticket or littering ticket that you didn't even know you had. And they can kill you and get away with it. That's what the Supreme Court, which we were just talking about, just said yesterday just yesterday um, the story that I got came from SCPR and it says in a unanimous decision the Supreme Court Tuesday made it more difficult to sue police officers who accidentally shoot the wrong person the case involved two LA County Sheriff's deputies who shot wounded Angel Martinez and Jennifer Lynn Garcia in 2010 as they were lying on the back side of shack in Lancaster the deputies were searching for a parolee they shot the couple when they entered the shack and saw Mendez holding a BB gun Mendez was shot 14 times and doctors were forced to amputate his right leg. Garcia who was pregnant at the time was shot once in the back. She later gave birth to a baby boy. A federal federal judge in LA awarded that couple $4 million. The Ninth Circuit Court upheld the decision. It said that while the deputies reasonably, reasonably feared for their lives when they opened fire, the county was liable because they provoked the confrontation by failing to get a search warrant and failing to identify themselves. See, look, but the vi- all constitutional violations. Every single one of them, Scotty. Every Fourth Amendment violation uh, right off the bat, you know, illegal searches and seizures just coming, and then they didn't identify themselves. So some armed men jumping through your house you know, pointing guns at you, you don't know what to think. If I had a, a, a stick, I'd probably hit him with it. If he had a BB gun. Like, man, you got to do better than a BB gun. But the high court ruled you can't hold police liable for constitutional violations that occurred before a reasonable shooting. It was a rejection of the so-called provocation rule 
used by some lower courts. A different Fourth Amendment violation cannot transform a later reasonable use of force into unreasonable seizure, Justice Samuel Alito wrote. Um, you can check the rest of that on New Abolitionist Radio. It's not too much uh, more. Uh, it's available on the website. But basically, they were saying that, you know, if you have a different violation of the Fourth Amendment, that doesn't change the fact after the fact that you originally came in with an unreasonable seizure. And anyway, now they can get away with all of that, making it impossible for anybody to get any kind of justice at all. They're going to make, they're going to start a war, man. That's what's going to end up happening. Well, we got like five minutes before our first break, Scotty, and there's two stories I did want to get out there. The one about the firefighter who was an incarcerated individual yes. and working as a firefighter that died. Yes. And the and, one about and, the three guards. Too. Yes. And we, um, did you want to go into the firefighter one? Yeah, let's do the, well, I got the three guards open, but let's do the firefighter one. If you don't mind pulling it up, maybe you can uh, help us cover it while I get this one in order. Okay. And I'll do the second one. Is it the on new is it on new abolitionist uh Facebook page? Yes, sir. Okay, yes, let me sir. get there. Now, this story when I read about it and found out it was California, it just reminded me of former California Attorney General Kamala Harris, who is now a US senator, if I'm not mistaken. Um but but when the Supreme Court ruled that California had to Reduce its prison population due to um, overcrowding and calling it uh, inhumane, you know, cruel and unusual to stack all these people on top of each other uh, in these prisons. And the argument that came out of Kamala Harris's office was that, well, if we get rid of them, if, if we let them out, we're going to delete, deplete our free labor pool or our cheap labor pool. And, you know, um, this is one of those guys that they were firefighters. They were working for $2 a day fighting fires. Very, very dangerous uh, work. Um, I'm trying to get to the story now. Facebook had... Um, it should be right at the top of the page. No, no. the problem was Facebook locked up on me. Um, <laughs> oh, it got you again? Yeah, okay. One of these got... One of these days, Scotty, you're gonna have a professional studio, man. I am calling it. You're gonna have a professional studio with staff employing all kinds of black, beautiful people running around doing what we do. <laughs> One day, hopefully. <laughs> you know I'm and, calling it, and, um, I can see it. Well, that would be great, Max. That would really be great. <laughs> I'm having trouble with Facebook, man, so I'm gonna have to go to BTR community is posted there, right? Yes, sir. It's uh one, two, three, about six posts down from the initial. Okay, let me scroll right under, down. This right under industry. the HUD secretary, Ben Carson story. <laughs> Poverty is a state of mind. Oh my oh, God, man. this dude. Yeah, see, he riding with his Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. He abandoned Blake Jesus. He, he yeah, I saw your video. People like that. You <laughs> little black Jesus in the dust, boy. <laughs> he like, I'm rolling with Trump now. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, let me see. Okay, here it's starting to load up now. Okay, Jeff Sessions, Hood Secretary, inmate firefighter dies. This is a story coming to you from LATimes.com. 
Um, it says an inmate firefighter died Wednesday when a 120-foot-tall tree fell on him while he was battling a wildfire in Humboldt County, according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Okay, it's showing an ad. Let me close this. Uh, Matthew Beck, 26 years old, was leading an inmate crew as they were removing brush in the remote community of Hoopa to stop the small fire from advancing, department spokesman Bill Sessa said. Beck was operating a chainsaw and likely didn't hear the tree when it uprooted and landed on him, he said. He suffered major head, neck, and back injuries. I can imagine so if you have a tree fall on you. Uh, Beck, who was assigned to the Alder Conservation Camp in Del Norte County in November 2016, died before a helicopter crew was able to reach him. Uh, we are saddened by the death of Matthew Beck, and our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends. State Correction Secretary Scott Kernan said in a statement, the inmates who year after year help protect our communities did he just really say that? The inmates who, but That's you putting them in there, you got them in prison, so-called, to protect the communities, right? All right. Anyway, the inmates who year after year help protect our communities from the devastation of fires perform a valuable public service. Well, I guess it is valuable if you ain't got to pay for it, and it is a tragic, tragic event when we lose one of them. Beck was sentenced in May 2014 to six years in prison for burglary in Los Angeles County, the department said. He is the fourth conservation camp inmate to be killed since the program began in 1943. Last year, okay, last year, Shauna Lynn Jones was the first female inmate in state history to die while battling a wildfire in February. She was struck in the head by a falling boulder while working fire lines in Malibu. So, I mean, I hear about, and you can read the rest of the story is posted for you on New Abolitionist Radio's Facebook page or on our planning page in btrcommunity.com. So, there, I, I did not know they were also uh, using women to go out there and fight fires as well. So I guess they're equal opportunity enslavers. Look, you might say, well, they're getting paid $2 a day, so how are they slaves? Well, some enslaved Africans who had a particular skill that could make some money were given a small wage, a.k.a., a slave wage just to keep them happy or, um, you know, just to placate them. And, and some of them were able to save up their little slave wages and purchase their freedom. You know, if the uh, enslaver was so inclined to sell them their freedom and what have you. So, I mean, this is crazy when we hear all these people, unemployed Americans out here in the streets who who's to say that this young man wasn't breaking into somebody's house because he was unemployed and he needed some money some kind of way? I'm not saying that's the case, and I'm certainly not justifying breaking into people's houses and what have you. But I'm looking at the fact that why you know he could have had this job fighting fires with a good salary, you know, uh, before he was. Uh, convicted of breaking into somebody's house to steal something to get some money and what have you. So 
this is just really disgusting. And Kamala Harris, when they was talking about we would deplete California of our of our cheap labor. It's just really disgusting, people. So, you know, that's that story is posted for you on on um our New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page. I have some things that I would like to say on it, but I'll hold it for after the commercial break. In the meantime, well, we can take like the break after. We can take Max. Go ahead. We'll take the break after you after you finish. All right. Well, I'm gonna finish the number. If you want to call in and join the conversation, we're at eight six six five one zero nine zero two five. Just press star star in order to unmute yourself, so we'll know that you want to talk. Um, there's so many different levels involved in this. One of the things is that they're working for two dollars a day doing a community service that helps the community. Like I said protects the community, and that's all well and fine, I think, to a certain degree. But that two dollars a day is literally save wages. You can do a lot better than that for somebody who's saving your damn life and who has literally given their life to do so, which leads into the other thing. They're prisoners. They're not firemen. So what kind of, of uh, you know, mourning and what kind of uh, uh, investment is going to be made in their family now that they died saving somebody else's life? I mean, are you going to take care of their family? No, they're prisoners. They're not firemen. They don't have the firemen's rights. They don't have the firemen's benefits but they're doing what firemen do. And more than likely, once they get out, it's going to be difficult for them to get a job as a fireman. So this uh, brother right here who just died, and the woman who died a year ago before him, died as prisoners working in slave labor. Even though it was a wonderful thing that they were doing, uh, the fact still remains that they're not going to reap any benefits that would normally come to a firefighter. And I'm also wondering... Now, what kind of, uh, does he have life insurance? Do are they going to give compensate the family for the loss of his life? What if he has children? Right. You know. So what? What you going? What you you going to send them children two dollars or something? Probably ain't going to send them nothing. Cause you probably made them sign what do they call that? Um, when they make you sign something that you harmless, yeah, sign some kind of agreement that oh, if you get hurt out here or if you get killed out here, you won't hold us responsible and what have you. But then I'm wondering if you are a slave, if you even have any rights to sue, if your family could even sue for the life, uh, his loss of life. So that's just some things I would like to know. Yes, indeed, Scott. Well, let's go ahead and take this break. And if you guys want to call in after the break, feel free to ring us and join the conversation. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network with Max Parthas and Scotty Reed. Johanna and Elia will be joining us as soon as possible.
Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking and all the components that make that up in this nation as well as across the world. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we've been talking about, and that came from the 13th Amendment movie, or the movie called The 13th Documentary by Ava DuVernay, was where they said, from criminal to slave, I mean, from slave to criminal with one amendment. From slave to criminal with one amendment. And that's what they did. They turned this into criminals instead of slaves. Then they put us with criminals. So you couldn't tell the difference. Like, oh, here's another criminal and there's another criminal. It doesn't matter who was innocent or guilty. The black code just threw us all in and it put us into these convict leasing programs, much like the firefighter program that we just talked about. Right. Um, but they made us into criminals rather than slaves. And when we talk about here on this program that any jail time or prison time is a potential death sentence, sometimes it can be even worse than a death sentence. And, you know, if you're a person that has to live through uh, being raped and molested on a regular basis by those people who are there to make sure that you're being treated humanely, that can possibly be worse than death. And that's the case we find here in Brooklyn right now, where three male correctional officers have been arrested on charges that they sexually abuse female prisoners at a federal prison in Brooklyn. You see all the components of slavery, chattel slavery, playing out here? It's happening right here in 2017. We just tend to turn blind eyes to it. Prosecutors say one of the men, Carlos Richard Martinez, could face life in prison if he is convicted of the charges he repeatedly raped an inmate who, who he knew spoke minimal English and had few visitors and would eventually be deported. According to the criminal complaint, Martinez was responsible for conducting rounds to identify and deter staff sexual abuse. Hold up here for a minute here. This the, this, this the fox in charge of the hen house. According to the criminal complaint, Martinez was responsible for conducting rounds to identify and deter staff sexual abuse and sexual harassment. He also educated staff regarding the Prison Rape Elimination Act, PREA, protocols and incidents. Martinez is accused of posting a photo on Facebook in 2015 of two men who appear to be prison staff hugging each other at a bar with the caption, it's only P-R-E-A when you don't like it. The complaint then alleges that Martinez forcibly raped a female inmate in December of 2015, causing her uh, to bleed from her private area and making her fear she may be impregnated. The horrific incident started when Martinez forced the inmate to clean the lieutenant's office, which witnesses say was empty on the weekends, while making crude sexual comments until eventually raping her, according to the complaint. An excerpt from the complaint states, put simply, the defendant used his superior position, authority, and strength to overpower and rape Jane Doe, a petite female prisoner under his control and care. Defendant did not use a condom when he raped Jane Doe, leaving her terrified that, among other things, she would get pregnant. The defendant assured Jane Doe that she would not get pregnant because he had undergone a vasectomy rendering him incapable of impregnating others. 
After allegedly raping the women, Martinez warned her not to tell anyone or she would receive additional time in prison. The rape continued over the next few months until she mentioned his name to a family member during a call. The abuse stopped April 2016 when the inmate was set to be released and into the custody of Immigration and Customs, ICE. Martinez allegedly called her to clean the office and raped her one last time, according to the complaint. The other correction officers charged were identified as Armando Moranto and Eugenio Perez. Perez, a lieutenant who also educated staff on PREA, is accused of sexually assaulting five different female inmates. He allegedly let one of the inmates out of isolation in return for extra cleaning duty. While she was on cleaning duty, he would force her and another female inmate to perform sexual favors for him. The complaint stated the defendant warned Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 2 in substance and in part not to tell anyone what had transpired and that if they did, they would be sorry. And no one would believe them because he was a lieutenant. The following morning, the defendant returned to Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 2's unit. Jane Doe 2 encountered the defendant in the hallway outside the unit, whereupon the defendant asked her, in substance and in part, if she wanted some more. And again, admonished her not to say anything. According to the complaint, Moranto accused of ordering food for himself and two female inmates. He then took them into an office where he instructed one to perform oral sex on him, while the other served as a lookout, then switched. He warned them not to tell anyone or they would get into trouble. Prosecutors are seeking their detention without bail because of the seriousness of the charges. The defendants are expected to be, appear in court Thursday afternoon in Brooklyn. That's from the Associated Press. That's why, <laughs> Max, I have said, you don't have to go back to 1864, 63, 60, 58. You don't have to go back to the 1800s to see what plantation life was like. All you got to do is visit one of these prisons, jails, detention centers, whatever they want to call them, where the same heinous crimes against humanity are being committed. And these, and, and, and you know, speaking of, of women, they're the fastest growing demographic of new slaves on the plantation. They are the number one demographic going into state prisons. And many of them are mothers. What do you think awaits them? I, I, you know, remember the story we reported on from that Michigan prison where they were hog tying those women butt naked, leaving them on the cell floor, depriving them of water and food, and just having their way with them. I mm-hmm. bet you the same stuff went on on a plantation in the 1800s, and then people. I mean, man, it's just all very disgusting. Imagine. You know, you're just there for a traffic fine, like these warrants that are being issued, the three million warrants in Texas alone. So imagine that. All you did was not pay a littering ticket, and you end up being raped for months on end. And then, if like, you'll not, never be the same. If it's not forcible rape, it's extortion. Oh, you need some tampons? Yes. I get you some tampons, but I need you to do a little something for me first. Oh, you want some extra food? I, I I know they don't feed y'all too good in here. Look, I, I got a Twinkie here. What will you do for a Twinkie? Damn. And that's uh, 
I guess the biggest example of that would be the entire prison of Tutwiler Prison in Alabama for women, where, you know, we've been talking about it now for several years, that women are subject to rape and molestation, and just what you said, Scotty, trading in tampons for oral sex or uh, hygienic problems for hand jobs to these women who are in these prisons. And, you know, these prisons are mixed with who did what. There's not not full with serial killers. Some people are just in there for the most mundane BS you can imagine, and they have to live like this while we act like nothing's going on. And, yes, Scotty, women are a huge uh, market now for prisons because they can make a lot more money on them. We've even reported here we're pregnant women. Uh, being target, targeted immediately upon arrests for adoption agencies that work with the prisons <laughs> to sell off their kids right there. <sighs> Welcome to America, 2017. And this is the results of the 13th Amendment's exception clause. Scotty, was there anything you wanted to go in, over in particular tonight? Um... Any more on that? No. Um, the biggest thing, though, was just that bill, man, that bill. Because I'm looking at some of these other stories. We already talked about the Supreme Court overturning that $4 million award. I'm looking at some other stories that's that's on the, uh, on the board where this person was wrongfully convicted, and they ended up getting a settlement. And that bill that, that these GOP... Um, seditious traitors is trying to trying to uh, pass through Congress would eliminate all of that, man. I tell you what, man, you put me in prison for something I didn't do, have me in there for twenty years, and then when I get out, I'm exonerated. You don't want to pay up for stealing twenty years of my life. Somebody gonna pay, and I mean that. Somebody gonna pay. And I ain't talking about money. Well, uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you, Scotty. I guess considering uh, we're getting close to the line of August 19th, I I wouldn't mind talking about that a moment. Um, Sure. The upcoming millions millions of prisoners march on Washington, and we talk about it every every week here on New Abolitionist Radio. Um, you have to be a part of this one way or another. You need to get up off your behind and get down to Washington, D.C. on August 19th. There has never been a march like this. There's been marches galore, but they've never marched to end slavery. This is something that hasn't happened since the 1800s, and we're there for a specific purpose. We're crossing all different boundaries when it comes to organizers and activists who are coming together for the same cause. This is not some occupy Wall Street with a potpourri of different issues and everybody's issues equal to everybody else's issue. This is about the number one problem facing this country today. Legalized slavery and human trafficking, which has turned out to be a slow genocide. So we're coming in to address that, and we're coming deep. Um, we were asking, like I said, everybody to get there. We've got lawmakers coming in. We've got prisoners who are going to be testifying Um, and giving their testimony. I'll be a speaker there as well, Uh, one of the people speaking to the world at that moment. Our goals are to have the exception clause taken out of the 13th Amendment primarily, and we've got two avenues to accomplish that, whether it be a constitutional convention, which we can initiate 
or simply joining in on the Convention of States, which is already in progress. And also, we want to see a disclosure process where Congress will have, uh, we want Congress to have discussions on the 13th Amendment and the effects it has had on us since 1865, on our society. We want disclosure. We want to know who was involved in this. How did they profit on it? What did they do to people? Uh, Who's behind this? Who's behind that? Whether it be the rapes going on in a Brooklyn prison or the for-profit industries that transports criminals, or not criminals, but transports the alleged criminals from one location to another, and they end up being raped or murdered along the way. We want all of this to be exposed for the world to see it, because we believe once the world truly understands the depths and of depravity that we have had to submit ourselves to for all this time, that they will not stand for it any longer. You know, Max, um, as you were speaking about the upcoming march, again, that'll be August the 19th in Washington, D.C. If I'm not mistaken, it's going to be on the mall, right? Yes, sir. Okay. As you were speaking about that, I was just thinking about just a little over five years ago before I ever even read the 13th Amendment, I remember the big push was to get the United States to apologize for slavery. And now I'm like, I don't want no apology. I want you to end slavery first. You can apologize after you end it first. Man, say it, Scotty. It's <laughs> like they beating you. You tied to the post and they whipping you. And every third whip they go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what's going on. Now, how are you going to apologize for something that's in progress? It, it makes no sense. None, none. We we got to do what James Baldwin recommended we do, and we have to face the problems. I mean, we can't solve them until we truly face them. And that requires a change of your mind. By changing your mind and looking at this in the context of slavery and human trafficking, there's more than enough proof. There's more than enough witness testimony. There's more than enough facts. The only thing left uh, that hasn't changed is your mind. So start there consider it as a reality and look into it. Max, all it took for me was reading the 13th Amendment. That's all it took. That's it. That's it. That's all evidence you need right there. That's why Mm -hmm. when they had the little 150th anniversary of the passing of the 13th, which Barack Obama presided over, they didn't even have a poster of the 13th Amendment with the text. Nope, and they wouldn't. I've seen the curator for the 13th Amendment uh, that was originally signed actually do a a showing of it and talk about it with it in his hand. You know, we can't read the script from far away. So he was holding his hand talking about it, and he read everything except the exception. (laughs) And I I thought to myself, I showed that to you, Scotty, before we talked about it on the program. Yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, how could he possibly omit that specific part unless he knew exactly what he was doing? Yeah, it was intentional. You just don't leave something out. I mean, it's not like it was at the end of the sentence or the or the little short paragraph. Well, it's only two sentences, I believe. It's not like it was it's at the end words. of it. I mean, it's 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 right smack dab in the middle. Except for mm-hmm. what what does it say? Involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished, except for punishment for crime where a person. How do you how do you 
leave that out unless it's intentional. Unless it's intentional, right? You don't want to open up the door for questions because you probably don't even understand yourself. You're probably sitting there as a curator going, I always wondered why they put that exception in there, but nothing ever came of it. So, But it does sound questionable, so I just skip it. And, you know, we, we're like that as a people, too. We, we, you know, we swear to defend this Constitution that gave us our freedom through the 13th Amendment, and then we don't even bother to read the 47 words that made it happen. Well, anyway, there was one other thing I did want to mention about the upcoming Millions for Prisoners March on Washington, the Human Rights March, which you can find information about at IamWeUbuntu.com, U-B-U-N-T-U. Dot com. You can find the information there as well as sign up your organizations. But right now they're seeking out artif- archivists in all genres and speakers. So the door is open for you right now. If you want to be a part of this and talk to the world or share your art with the world in regards to the 13th Amendment and modern day slavery, now is the time. We've got so many talented people who understand what's happening and we need your voices right now. So if you're looking to be a speaker and give your testimony, or if you're an art, artist who uh, focuses on these issues, please uh, contact them at imweubuntu.com. I'll share a direct link for you on New Abolitionist Radio so you can participate, make your voice be heard. This is the time. You will never get another chance like this. Unless we don't end slavery, then you might have to do it again in 50 years, just like we've been doing <laughs> Right. All right, Scotty. I guess uh, we're coming up on uh, five minutes away from our next break. Uh, what do you want to do for this five minutes? Want to take some calls? Do we have anybody on the line? Um, no, we don't have anybody that um, has unmuted themselves that would like to speak. But if you would like to share anything with us related to 21st century slavery and human trafficking, give us a call at 866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. Hit star, star. Now, Max, I know this wasn't part of the um, lineup of stories that you had put on the board, but I would like to just bring up the Confederate monuments. um, And and this is an issue that I'm really passionate about. Um, You know, this is is just an insult. These monuments are insult to the enslaved victims. It's an insult to the Union soldiers that gave their lives, risked their lives to free them. And it just doesn't make sense that I, as an American citizen, am forced to promote treason, insurrection, slavery, and racism in the form of these monuments on public public, uh, property. It just makes absolutely no sense. And I see this as part of abolishing slavery. All right. And it was I was listening to Tanya Free and Friends show today, and this was one of the topics that they brought up. And somebody said that the Civil War really isn't over. And I kinda agree with that. And we've said that the job was left undone, that we need to finish the job. And I think it is accurate to describe the Civil War as ongoing. It's just like how they describe it with the Soviet Union, between the Soviet Union and USA, you know, a Cold War. I believe that after 1865 and Lincoln capitulated 
to them Confederate traitors who he should have hung, had each and every last one of them hung, and their property confiscated and distributed to their victims, the enslaved Africans, that, you know, um, a cold, we entered into a Cold War period. And I, I'm telling you, man, I know that a lot of people might suffer. and Well, I know people will suffer, but I am not against turning it into a hot war if that's what it takes to end slavery for real this time, man. And every time I see those monuments, it, I will keep in mind what that caller said today, that the Civil War is still ongoing. I can see where you could say that, Scott. I indeed can see that. I believe in... Uh, Frederick Douglass's famous speech where he denounced the emancipation as a stupendous fraud, he mentioned how that they would pull these things off. And these idols and icons all over the place is an example of that, uh, you know, proclaiming their power, instilling fear into people to remind you of what can happen to you, setting these things up as something that you would want to idolize or see as a virtue when in fact these were some of the most evil men on the planet earth um I, I, if, yeah, we got a couple minutes let me just read this excerpt if you don't mind from frederick Douglass's speech which you can find <clears throat> in its entirety at the new word word order.com the new word order.com we have it up there in video and in text he said, what, if the, what is the condition of the Negro at the South at this moment? Let us look at it both in the light of facts and in the light of reason. To understand it, we must consult nature as well as circumstances, the past as well as the present. No fact is more obvious than the fact that there is a perpetual tendency of power to encroach upon weakness and of the crafty to take advantage of the simple. This is as natural as for smoke to ascend or water to run down. The love of power is one of the strongest traits in the Anglo-Saxon race. The love of power common to the white race has been nursed and strengthened at the South by slavery, accustomed during 200 years to the unlimited possession and exercise of irresponsible power. The love of it has become stronger by habit. To assume that this feeling of pride and power has died out and disappeared from the South is to assume a miracle. Any man who tells you that it died out or has ceased to be exercised and made effective tells you that which is untrue and in the nature of things could not be true. Not only is the love of power there, but a talent for its exercise has been fully developed. This talent makes the old master class of the South not only the masters of the Negro, but the masters of Congress, and if not checked, will make them the masters of this nation. And that's where we are right now with the old master class as the masters of this nation and of Congress. Well, you just heard that from the speech by Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, called, I denounce this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. It was an act Scott of treason, if you ask me, Max. It was an act of treason on or on Lincoln's part. Right, right. Yes, Lincoln could have avoided this by simply taking out that exception clause, never allowing it to be in there at all. And we really would have had slavery ended. They wouldn't have been able to exploit things the way they have been. Maybe they could have did it differently, but it wouldn't have been what we've had now because it would have been illegal. 
but it, Lincoln betrayed the abolitionists on more than one occasion. He betrayed point, the whole entire was, country. He he yes, betrayed yes. the whole entire country. What sense? Tell me what sense do this make? You just tried to overthrow my country. All right, and so then at at the uh, cost of lives and a lot of money, I'm just going after you uh, surrender. I'm just going to welcome you back in the house with open arms and say, "Come on in," and you can even help me write the Thirteenth Amendment. And that's what the research of uh, Attorney Michael Court showed when he wrote that article, saying that the Confederates helped write the Thirteenth Amendment. But I mean, that was a betrayal of every loyal American citizen. It was a betrayal of the enslaved African. It was a betrayal of every Union soldier. He deserved what he got. He just got it from the wrong person. You know, I I remember hearing Obama, who was a constitutional lawyer, speak to students about that, a room full of uh, non-black students at that, explaining to them how he has the uh, emancipation doc, uh, proclamation uh, right behind his desk and he sees it every day and that it simply really it tells you about how they did not end slavery in certain areas only those who were in rebellion it was used as a tactic of war so only those states in rebellion uh, had the emancipation proclamation applied to those to them the ones who were not in rebellion did not have that applied to them so he told these students, imagine what the Huff Post would say today. Lincoln betrays all blacks. <laughs> and that's what he, he, he betrayed everybody, not just blacks, but everybody. American citizens. He, he betrayed. It was war- Go ahead, Scotty. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it was just an act of treason. There's no other way about it. No other way about it. But to, man, that man is one of the worst. And I've heard people you know people tried to come at me and say not come at me but have a discussion with me and say well uh, look at this speech of Lincoln giving and he's talking against slavery and he didn't like how his father made him do hard chores for free and that's why he was against slavery and blah 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 politicians tell people what they want to hear so they can get into office and then you find out what their true intentions were and he was writing letters to the south to southern congressmen of stevenson in georgia saying y'all think i want to to interfere with your slaves and your property no please tell your fellow uh, uh southerners that i have no such intention um we we think that you think that slavery should expand. I'm paraphrasing. You would think that slavery should expand to the new territories. We don't think it should. So this man was never, ever about ending slavery. And I remember reading um, a field report from one of the generals. I believe they were in South Carolina. And a couple of stories like this. It happened in South Carolina. It also happened in Missouri where you had field officers of the Union Army emancipate enslaved Africans and recruit them into their troop, into their platoon, whatever, you know, they they had going on. And Lincoln wrote them and told them, no, you will return that property. I ain't get, you don't have the authority to set nobody free. Man, and then the way this man has been lionized. 
to the point that even black people used to have them on on their wall right beside uh, uh, um, uh, Dr. King and John F. JFK, Lincoln. This man, man, there's been no greater fraud ever perpetrated on the world. Well, uh, Scotty, my granddaughter just came and told me she's ready to go. I want to give her a hug and kiss goodbye. All right, and we so with go that break. said, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll do our regular schedule segments. And uh, there is one announcement that I did. It was not an announcement, but it is a news article that I just want people to make sure they check out. In the meantime, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio right here on Black Talk Radio Network. Make sure you check us out every week. We'll be right back after these messages. Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. New Black Media for the New Millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Thanks, Scotty. Appreciate that break right there. Uh, just wanted to hug my babies goodbye. And uh, my son is going off with them, too. He's already trying to get him a job. So he'll be tomorrow out there doing that. What I want to mention uh, in particular is a news article, or rather it's, uh, it's more, so much more than an article but I've posted it on New Abolitionist Radio, and it's from Dunwalk.com called the Clinton Administration. In the future, if we're going to have, anybody wants to have a Clinton conversation with me, you're going to need to read this or you're coming at me unarmed. You don't have all the information. This really shows you why we believe that the, the Clintons should be facing crimes against humanity for what they knowingly did uh, throughout their entire tenure within the political offices of the United States. It also shows the connections of Harvard graduates and how they were instrumental, like literally first time ever happened type instrumental in creating what we now know today as this for-profit prison industry. For instance, like Elaine Kamerak, who lobbied for private prisons as a senior advisor to Vice President Gore and part of Gore's re-engineering government, then went to Harvard. Uh, so that's a name that you normally wouldn't know. Another one would be Christopher Edley Jr., a Harvard Law professor who served in the Office of the Management and Budget and Budget engineered the federal budget to support 
private federal prisons. Now he's the dean at Berkeley Law School. So it, it really shows you how they all work together to create what we now know today as modern-day slavery. So if you want to talk to me about Clinton, you need to read that first. And it's not an easy read. It's about a dozen pages. But do it. Scotty? Yes. All right, brother. Um, well, we're coming up on our regularly scheduled um, segments, and I guess we could start out with the first one would be our rider of the 21st century Underground Railroad. I'm pulling him up right now, Scotty. And um, this comes from... Yes, sir? Um, is it the one for Flat Rock Police? Man, yes, is, sir. Okay, yeah, I'll go ahead and pull that up. And um, this is our rider Perfect. of the Underground Railroad, 21st century Underground Railroad. A man exonerated for murder sues Flat Rock Police for $10 million. And I will remind you that Republicans in Congress right now are trying to pass legislation that will prevent him from going to the courts to seek a redress of his grievance for going into slavery for something he ain't even do. Okay, so um, let me go ahead and... I have a video here of, of the story just waiting on this ad to go away. And uh, we will run that. Okay, here we go. ...for a wrongful conviction. It was filed by a man who spent several years in prison for a murder he did not commit. 7 Action News reporter Simon Shaquette is live in Flat Rock with the man's fight for justice. Simon. Heather, James Shepard is going after Flat Rock police for millions of dollars. And he says even that won't make up for what they took from him. I feel like at that point in my life, I was on hell on earth. Mentally and physically. At 33 years old, James Shepard has come back from the unthinkable, sentenced to prison for a crime he did not commit. Charged me with first degree murder and second degree murder. Convicted June 12th, 2012, he spent nearly five years in state prison, knowing all along cell phone records and an alibi from his boss at Ford Dearborn Truck Assembly would someday prove he was nowhere near a 2010 murder at Walnut Creek Apartments. All the while, he missed the funerals of his grandparents and seeing his own daughter, Samaya, grow up. I didn't get to teach her how to really ride a bike. I never really, I never even went to her first day of school. I watched the health of the older people in my family just dwindle, dealing with stress and depression, dealing with everything that was going on with me. Freed one year ago after a court of appeals overturned his sentence, James is now mentoring kids and working construction. He's also filed a $10 million lawsuit against Flat Rock Police and the now retired lead detective on the case. Attorney Wolfgang Mueller says it's about justice. This is not a case of sloppy police work. This is a case where the police officer lied and omitted facts to get an arrest warrant signed. Now, a co-defendant in this case is still behind bars. In the meantime, Flat Rock police not commenting. Live in Flat Rock, Simon Shaket, 7 Action News. Back to you. All right, Simon, thank you. CV the police withholding as evidence and testimony. How often do we hear that? If it's not the police, it's the prosecutors doing it. And it's nothing but a railroad for black men to push them into these prisons. All people, but primarily focus on black men. Why? Because 95% of all prosecutors across the entire country are white. 83% of them are white men. There is a lot of room for institutional racism in that type of a 
uh, by domination of our justice system. I mean, what kind of lazy, sick person that you got to be to hide to know a man is 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 um, innocent? You got an alibi, his alibi from his supervisor or his employer that he was working and he was nowhere near of uh, this of uh, the scene of this murder that he couldn't not have. And you, I mean, you intentionally put this man into slavery and you didn't really care about catching the real killer or not. Any black man to do, I guess. I mean, this is disgusting. And then you have Donald Trump got the nerve to say that police are unfairly targeted for criticism. We got members of Congress right now in the Senate and in the House introducing a bill that will prevent people like Mr. Shepard from suing or petitioning for a redress of their grievance. And he's got a hell of a grievance. And that's going to stop all of this. So it's really just going to be a case of they'll kill you and get away with it. They'll molest you, rape you, rob you, steal from you, whatever. They'll rape your baby cows, and there's nothing you can do about it. Tell me, man, man they, well, these people are pushing us. They're pushing people to the brink, man, because the courts are, are supposed to be the last resort, you know. I, I I know this man probably has thought about getting revenge on those who set him up and stole so many years of his life, but no, he's not going to go out there and hunt him down and shoot him down in the street. No, he's going to do it the civilized way. He's going to take them to court. And I would like to know, has the lead investigator or anybody who helped set this man up has been charged with a crime? That's criminal. You, we want to talk about, about that last week, Scotty. <laughs> What's that, Max? I went on a rant about that last week. How these people are so criminal, and nobody ever investigates their records. I mean, lying to the court—that's a crime. Tampering with evidence—that's a crime. But they seem to never—I'm not going to say never, but rarely ever get charged with the crimes that they have committed against innocent American citizens. It's disgusting. It is. It is. And it leads to rebellions, which is what you were just saying. You yes, know, it uh, does. We, they put you to the edge, and that's where we need to be, on the edge. Otherwise, change is never going to happen. We can't be content or prove of or put up with this. It is unacceptable, and unacceptable should have teeth. When you're having rampant constitutional violations being decried by Supreme Court judges, Ninth Circuit judges, politicians, police, everybody who can open their mouth is saying this is a constitutional violation over and over again, and not just one of our rights, but multiple rights, then I think that uh, it is time for us to reach the edge and do something about it. And with that said, I'd like to say thank you to our listeners uh, we just reached over 12,000 followers for New Abolitionist Radio. And just last week, just on the Facebook page alone, we reached 40,000 people. So you're making this uh, message get heard by the world. Thank you very much. Thank you, yes. 
Thank Remember you. when we first started, Scotty, we were like, we got to get a thousand people to follow. And, you know, the way it's going right now is everybody that likes the page follows it. It's cool, man. That's cool. They are helping mm-hmm. us disseminate information, information and an analysis that they, quite frankly, is not going to get from your mainstream media. I ain't yes, never heard anybody on MSNBC or CNN say that slavery was never abolished, you know, when the 13th Amendment, when they had their little anniversary, 150th year anniversary in Washington, D.C. I didn't see or hear of any political pundits on there saying, you know, this is really a fraud. You know, they really didn't abolish slavery. You know, you see, they don't have a picture of the 13th Amendment, but we're going to throw it up on the screen for you. None of that. None of that. Well, let me move on to our next segment then, Scotty, which is our new one we've been doing now for about a month or so. Yes, for sir. freedom's sake, a history of rebellion. Today, we're going to remember the German Coast Slave Uprising of 1811. It is regarded by some historians as the largest revolt of its sort in American history. Uh, German Coast Uprising, 1811. If the Haitian Revolution between 1791, which we covered last week, in 1804, spearheaded by Toussaint Louverture and fought won by black slaves under the leadership of Jean-Jacques Dessalines, struck fear in the hearts of slave owners everywhere, it struck a loud and electrifying chord with African slaves in America. In 1811, about 40 miles north of New Orleans, Charles Dessalines, a mulatto slave driver on the Andrew Sugar Plantation in the German West coast area of Louisiana took volatile inspiration from the victory seven years prior in Haiti. He would go on to lead what the young historian Daniel Ramusson called the largest and most sophisticated slave revolt in U.S. history in his book American Uprising. The Stono Rebellion had been the largest slave revolt on these shores to this point, but that occurred in the colonies before America won its independence from Great Britain. After communicating his intentions to slaves and the Andrew Plant- on the Andrew Plantation and in the nearby areas, on the rainy evening of January 8th, Desalondes and about 25 slaves rose up and attacked the plantation owners and their families. They hacked to death one of the owner's stores, or owner's sons, but carelessly allowed the master to escape. That was a tactical mistake for sure. But Desalondes and his men had wisely chosen the well-outfitted Andrew Plantation, a warehouse for the local militia, as a place to be as the place to begin their revolt. They ransacked the stores and seized uniforms, guns, and ammunition. As they moved towards New Orleans, intending to capture the city, dozens more men and women joined the cause, singing Creole protest songs while pillaging plantations and murdering whites. Some estimated that the force ultimately swelled to 300, but it's unlikely that the Salande's army exceeded 124. The South Carolina congressman, slave master, and Indian fighter Wade Hampton was assigned the task of suppressing the insurrection with a combined force of about 30 regular U.S. Army soldiers and militia. It would take Hampton two days to stop the rebels. They fought a pitched battle that ended only when the slaves ran out of ammunition. About 20 miles from New Orleans, in the slaughter that followed, a slave, the slave lack of military experience was evident. The whites suffered no casualties. 
But when the slaves surrendered, about 20 insurgents lay dead. Another 50 became prisoners, and the remainder fled into the swamps. But by the end of the month, whites had rounded up another 50 insurgents. In short order, about 100 survivors were summarily executed, their heads severed and placed along the road to New Orleans. As one planter noted, they looked like crows sitting on long poles. We here at New Abolitionist Radio remember the German Coast slave uprising of 1811. Salute. Salute. Look what they did, dude. They put their heads on spikes like it was the 14, 1300s or something, man. Hey, my no, great aunt, freedom. my great aunt, um, she's dead now. She's been dead for a while. And she, I don't know if, no, she couldn't have saw it. Could she? Okay, I mean, because there were 12 families that were practicing slavery here in Gaston County. Um, but our our family were not were not slaves. We're not enslaved here in in North Carolina. But I remember her talking about they uh, that these white people had cut this slave's head off and put it on a buggy like some kind of ornament and was riding up and down the road with it. That's disgusting, man. These are the type of sick, sick. I mean, don't get me started, man. Well, Scotty, I guess that leads us into our final segment, which would be our abolitionists in profile, remembering those who fought for this cause in any way that they could. Do you have somebody for us today? Yes. Um, one of those who was betrayed by Lincoln, we're going to feature as our abolitionists in profile tonight. Martin Robeson Delaney, born May 6, 1812, transitioned on January the 24th, 1885. He was an African-American abolitionist, journalist, physician, and writer, and arguably the first proponent of black nationalism. He was one of the first three black people admitted to Harvard Medical School. Trained as an assistant and a physician, he treated patients during the cholera epidemics of 1833 and 1854 in Pittsburgh, when many doctors and residents fled the city. He worked alongside Frederick Douglass to publish the North Star. Active in recruiting blacks for the United States colored troops, he was commissioned as a major, the first African-American field grade officer in the United States Army during the American Civil War. Uh, let me jump down. In 1863, after Abraham Lincoln had called for a military draft, Delaney began recruiting black men for the Union Army. See, they ain't have to be dra uh, drafted. They uh, volunteered. Uh, his efforts in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and later Ohio raised thousands of enlistees, many of whom joined the newly formed United States Colored Troops. He wrote to the Secretary of War, Edwin M. Stanton, requesting that he make efforts to command all of the effective black men as agents of the United States, but the request was ignored. During the recruitment, 179,000 black men enlisted in the U.S. colored troops, almost 10% of all who served in the Union Army. In early 1865, Delaney was granted an audience with Lincoln. He proposed a corps 
of black men led by black officers who could serve to win over Southern blacks. Although a similar appeal by Frederick Douglass had already been rejected, Lincoln was impressed by Delaney and described him as a most extraordinary and intelligent man. Delaney was commissioned as a major a few weeks later, becoming the first black line field officer in the U.S. Army and achieving the highest rank an African-American would reach during the Civil War. After the war, he remained with the Army and served under General Rufus Saxton in the 52nd U.S. Colored Troops. He later he was later transferred to the Freedmen's Bureau, serving on Hilton Head uh, Island in South Carolina. He shot white officers with a strong call for the right of free blacks to own land. Later in 1865, he was mustered out of the Freedmen's Bureau and shortly after resigned from the Army. New Abolitionist Radio salutes Martin Robeson Delaney. Salute. Salute, brother. Salute. Um, well, there you have it. Our regularly scheduled segments uh, of the utmost importance because they teach you about the past and the present. And you have to have some kind of historical and worldview in order to really understand what's going on here. Um, you can't live your life with blinders on. Scotty Reed, any final comments for this evening? Yes. Um, as we get closer and closer to August, all of those who are able, please, 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 please come to Washington, D.C. Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March. This isn't a march to end mass incarceration. This isn't a march to reform sentencing laws. This is a march to end slavery, to bring attention to not only the nation, but to the world that America never abolished slavery and they're still practicing it to this very day. And we are putting a call out to the troops to come join the war. Come join us. We need your body there. This is where it really counts. This is not just another march. Not just another march. Get up and get there. There are buses available. Check I am we, Ubuntu.com for information. I guess I'll close mine up like this, Scotty. The truth of this is that what we're dealing with is the accumulated results of sociopathic policies by racist, racist proxies, and corrupt officials over at least the last five generations. Escape is almost impossible when you can barely make it day to day. There isn't a soul sitting up in the Hamptons, Beverly Hill, Carmel, or Mar-a-Lago who would dare live under such conditions for a single day. But you think it's okay not only for us to live like this, but you compound the problems daily with outright apathy, blatant ignorance, and sociopathic racist policies. Are we not Americans? Do we not deserve peace, security, and the chance to thrive as contributing members of society? I remember one of these high-profile corrupt cops saying recently that if we wanted them dead, we'd simply stop patrolling their neighborhoods and let them kill each other off. I believe that that has been the plan since 1865. You made this environment. We're just trying to stay alive in it. And we know right now today that abolition is a reason for revolution so we can finally know our peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 rise up. Rise up.
lift your eyes up, let your wives rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo porn.